Agree. <laughs> Am I still alive? That's the question. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And uh, thank you, brother, for wearing a jacket and tie. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, otherwise, I'd feel completely overdressed. We are here in the house of the Lord to praise him. Amen? Amen. And I want to thank so much the musicians. They're gone, but uh, thank you. <laughs> so tell them I said thank you. You know, it's uh, when you have a gift and you have a talent and you can use it for the glory of God and help people worship God, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, I just encourage you, if you, you know, don't hide, don't bury your talents if you've got them. Even if you're afraid, give them to the Lord. Let the Lord use you. Uh, we have had a great week up in Chattanooga. Uh, uh, Ebony and Lyle were up there for our urban ministry training conference. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I am the head of what's called the New City Network. And the New City Network is uh, under Mission to North America which is the home mission agency for the Presbyterian Church in America. And the New City Network is a coalition of churches that are urban, cross-cultural, that pursue the poor, that have joyful worship and sound biblical teaching. And the Lord has been building the momentum for this coalition uh, over this last year. And we have several conferences that we do, and one of them is the one that we had last week where we do hands-on training in uh, urban ministry. So we were out in the neighborhoods doing children's Bible clubs, and we were learning about cross-cultural ministry, and we were learning about how to minister to the poor. And uh, it was a, a pretty intensive week. And then I really felt bad for Ebony and Lyle because then yesterday we had the servant leader training, and they're back here again. And um, uh, as Lyle was saying, Lord, please have mercy on me. Stop punishing me for my sins by making me go through all this training. But uh, my wife, Joan, and uh, Robert Blevins is our administrative assistant. We are basically the leadership team, and we travel around to a lot of our so we got about over 30 churches in this coalition already, and uh, we're praying that God would help us. Uh, we're, we're praying for $10 million so that we would have money to start more churches among the poor. And, you know, it's not... So it's not always very popular to do that. Uh, you don't get rich planting churches among the poor. You know, I mean, if you're a great evangelist, you go out and you get 100 poor people saved. And they come to church and they tithe. You still can't afford to be a church, you know. So uh, we just got to pray that God will provide the resources and help. And he is. And God is doing some great things. We're seeing some wonderful boys and girls, teenagers, men and women come to Jesus Christ and become leaders in God's church. Uh, and so it's really exciting. Um, I have uh, been the pastor of New City Fellowship Chattanooga up until last May. I stepped down after 36 years uh, being their pastor. And uh, in God's mercy, uh, we have a great new pastor, African-American brother named Kevin Smith and uh, Joan and I, when we're in town in Chattanooga, we still worship there. And, and we're so grateful uh, for that church, a great church. We invite any of you, if you're up in Chattanooga on a Sunday, please come 
and worship at New City. So that's enough about me. We're here to get into the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to uh, the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. My sermon this morning is going to come from chapter 2 and 3 of, of the book of Ephesians. And I've got four points. So don't get excited at the third one. That, okay, he's almost done. There's right. four points. And I want to pray, and then I'm going to read the word. Holy Father, thank you for this uh, blessed opportunity to stand in your holy presence and to open up the Holy Bible, your word, that we would sit before it and want you, Lord, to speak to us. And, Lord, we do want you to speak. So I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take what you have written, and apply it to our hearts. I pray you give us the faith to believe it. And I pray that you would rebuke Satan as he tries to steal it. We ask, oh God, for uh, Pastor Shipman and his family, and we thank you for them, and we pray that they'd have a great vacation, that they would get rest and restoration, so that they would come back in the power of the Lord and be able to minister this summer. Uh, Father, we thank you for the leaders of this church. We thank you for their commitment to you, Lord Jesus. And please help each one of them <coughs> and every family represented here and every single person that, God, they would stay faithful. So now, Lord, for your glory, please bless us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 2, book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 11. Chapter 2. <clears throat> Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Amen. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God's got it together. That's my sermon this morning. God's got it together. You know, anybody ever tell you, you need to get it together. You know, that's usually a, a little word of advice or encouragement that maybe you don't have it together. You know, some of us, we, we tend to fall apart sometimes. And somebody has to tell us, our spouse or somebody, our parents, you need to get it together. Okay? Well, God's got it together. And I want to tell you how he did it. In case you haven't noticed, the world is fractured. In case you haven't noticed that there is a thing called racism in the world. In case you haven't noticed, most churches don't look like this on Sunday morning in America. It's still true that uh, the 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. You know, we've tried to integrate our schools, sometimes successful, sometimes not. We've integrated the military forces of our country. Uh, we have tried to remove every legal barrier uh, to employment, to housing, to education, to opportunity. Uh, we have set laws. We've tried to enforce those laws. But the one place where people have free choice as to who they're going to worship with, this reveals our heart. This shows us what counts to us. Now, we want to admit that a lot of that is not because people hate other people. A lot of it has to do with culture. It has to do with preferences, the way they like to sing music or music they don't like or preaching style they like. All of those things are involved. But nevertheless, it does send a message. You know, we, we have lived in a world that has really had a hard time getting it together. People even learning how to live together. It started all the way back, you know, between Adam and Eve, they kind of fell apart when they sinned. Adam started blaming Eve. They had children. The first two children, one brother kills the other. We didn't get off to a very good start, did we? Then there was a lot of violence in the world, and God got upset. And so God decided to destroy the world. And thank God, he chose Noah to build an ark. If it hadn't been for Noah and his family, none of us would be here. And so he saved the human race through Noah. Every one of us is a descendant of Noah and his wife. But then even after that, after the waters had receded and human, the human race began to multiply, they, they wouldn't spread out around the world. They stayed together and they became proud. And they decided to build a tower and make a name for themselves and God came down and said, no, 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 that won't do. Because if, if mankind stays together in his sinfulness, nothing will be impossible for him. And God didn't want us to be that powerful because that kind of power connected with sin, pretty bad thing. 
So God divided us, and he, he separated us by our languages, and we couldn't understand each other, and so we were forced to spread out around the planet. And we began to start nations. We, we decided that we liked the way certain people looked, and we, we, we genetically made choices about who we would marry, and, and we sort of got inbred. Now, I know there are certain states in America, they claim that that's truth, but uh, <laughs> hopefully Alabama's an exception. But in our nations, we decided that we were superior to other nations. One nation said, we like us and we don't like you. One nation said, uh, we like your land and we're going to take it from you. One nation said, we got guns, you don't. We're going to make slaves out of you. The world became full of violence again, full of hatred, full of uh, what they call ethnocentrism. We have fought horrible wars because some nations declared themselves to be the super race and decided that they had the right to conquer and enslave whole other groups of people. We have fought horrible wars to stop that. And yet, the sinfulness continues. In the Apostle Paul's day, the man who wrote this book that I just read, Ephesians, there was this great division. The Bible talks about it as basically taking the whole world and dividing them into two groups. All the nations of the earth were made into one group called the Gentiles. And the other group were known as the Jews. The Jews were the chosen people God had created to eventually bring everybody back together again. I told you about the story of the Tower of Babel when God divided the world. That's in chapter 11 of Genesis. In chapter 12 of Genesis, God chooses Abram. And he makes a promise to him that through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So right after he divides us, he makes a plan to unify us. Now, what is that plan? His plan was to send his own son, Jesus Christ. Now, those days, the world separated, Paul says, between Jews and Gentiles. You know, by the way, I think this is one of uh, the ironic jokes of the Bible. This is what you might call a grace joke. You say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that the man who wrote what I just read was named Saul. Here he is writing about how God brings us together. And he was a man who hated anybody who was not a Jew. He was a racist. He believed that his people were superior. He believed that the Jews were the chosen people of God. You know, you say, well, isn't that so? It is so for a reason. They were the chosen people of God, so you might be chosen. And so let me get to my points and go through this text and tell you what I'm talking about. My first point is the recognition of alienation. Amen. Okay. Now, I know some of these phrases might go by you too quick. I'm going to break them down, okay? The recognition of alienation. Now, what is that? Look, you see here in chapter 2, it, Paul recognizes the fact 
that people are at war with each other, that, that we hate each other. He says, remember, formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. And by the way, if you are here today and you were not Jewish by ethnicity, you are a Gentile. Black or white, you are a Gentile, okay? Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. The, the Gentiles didn't circumcise their baby boys, but the Jews did. That's what set them apart. That done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And this, this phrase here that I'm going to read is a very lonely phrase. Without hope and without God in the world. You know, before somebody becomes a Christian... They are a creation of God. They're created in the image of God. They, they have gifts and beauty and all of those things, but they are not a child of God. You, you, you may have come to church this morning and say, aren't we all children of God? No. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are not yet in the family of God. You say, but... Are you saying God hates me? No, I'm saying God loves you. He gave his own son to die for you. But just because God has given his son to die for you, until you believe in him and receive him and repent of your sins and come to him, you're still out. You're outside the house. And so Paul reminds them. He says, don't you remember? You were strangers. You were foreigners. None of the promises of the Bible applied to you. There's a promise of eternal life. If you're not a Christian, it doesn't apply to you. Wow. That's a pretty miserable place to be. Without hope and without God in the world. And by the way, if, if you are here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, I, my prayer is that before you go home today, you would give your life to Christ so that would no longer be said about you that you would have hope, that you would know where you're going when you die, that you would have the hope that God forgives sin and that you would have God in your life. May that, may that happen. So Paul says, I recognize the fact that, that we were divided. You say, well, what does this have to do with it? Well, have you noticed in America we still have a problem with folks not getting along? You know, and it is amazing how quickly our racism can spring up in us. You ever, you ever gone to the store and somebody jumped in front of you? Yeah, you ever tried to get a parking space and somebody drove in front of you and, and you looked for an explanation and you found it in the color of their skin? You say, uh-huh. That's the way those people are. You know, isn't it interesting how that kind of stuff just bubbles up? You say, where did that come from? You know, and the problem is sometimes we're not even, we don't even feel bad about it. We just assume that's true. Well, we've been infected with that sinfulness. We are separated from each other. You know, Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be one. That's his will for us. His will is that his church might be one. That's not W-O-N, that's O-N-E, all right? That we might be one. 
And the problem is, it, 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 our sinfulness keeps dividing us, keeps finding reasons why we can't get along, why we won't worship together, why we won't serve God together. So he recognizes the alienation. My second point, but God got it together. Here it is, the reconciliation of the nations. First one, recognition of alienation. Second, reconciliation of the nations. What does he do? He says, but now, in verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. You know, right there is your testimony. If, If you ever knew what it was like to not be saved and to finally come to Jesus, if you knew what it was like to feel separated. Some, you know, brothers and sisters, some of you are separated from your own family. You don't even have, we don't even have to get into the racial aspect. Some of you, your marriages are broken, and some of you hate your parents. Some of you yearn for love from your parents. You, you know the brokenness of human life. And here the good news of the gospel is you're not far from God. Not if you've come to Jesus. You have been healed. That, that brokenness can be mended. You who once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Brought near to other people who at one time you were estranged from. And he did it between Jews and Gentiles. Here's how he did it. It says, he himself is our peace who made the two one, destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. You see, the Gentiles didn't have the law, and and the Jews had the law, but they couldn't keep it. And here comes Jesus, and he dies on the cross. In his life, he kept the law. In his death, he fulfilled the curse of the law, and he broke the power of the law to keep us from God. He did it all when he died on the cross. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. He took the Gentiles and he took the Jews and he put them both in his body when he died on the cross. And he made the two one. Now, somebody may say, whoa, 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 Pastor. What's this got to do with black folks and white folks? It's Jews and Gentiles. Okay, now I'm going to use a little fancy theological term. This is the primary paradigm of reconciliation, which impacts all subsidiary paradigms. Say amen. (laughs) What I mean... What I mean is, when God says he took the Gentiles, now, now who are Gentiles? Anybody's not a Jew. So, are Africans Gentiles? Okay. Getting a little technical on me. Okay. But by and large, the sons of Ham are Gentiles. Okay. Now... Are Europeans Gentiles? Of course. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. How about Germans? 
Yeah, how about the Irish? Uh-huh. How about the Russians? Yeah. How about the Chinese? All of those people, if they are not Jewish, are Gentiles. Yeah. Exactly. That's the Greek word for nations. That's where we get the word ethnic from. Every ethnic group. Okay? They are Gentiles. Now, they have fights between themselves. If you look at history, you know, one of the great sorrows in the world today are between the Japanese and Korean people. The Japanese conquered the Koreans, and after World War II, the Korean finally got its freedom, but, but there's still a lot of pain between them. I have Japanese Christian friends who have agonized over it, feeling guilty about what their forefathers did to the Korean people. Uh, if you go uh, to uh, Rwanda today, there are Hutus and Tutsis. And uh, you remember the great slaughter that took place in Rwanda because of tribalism. Now, they're, they're Gentiles, but yet, there's so much pain. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus put to death the hatred between every ethnic group. When he brought all the Gentiles together and the Jews together in his own body on the cross. He did this spiritually. He, he did this for us so that we would have a basis of unity. Now, there are implications for it. He did the work of dying to bring us together, but now he gives us the work of living it out. So that's my second point, that there is the reconciliation of the nations, that he made the two one, broke down the barrier, destroyed the hostility through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You know, one of the great sins of American racism was the denial that black people were even human. There were some who denied they even had souls. There were some who thought that if there was a heaven, it would be a segregated heaven. God have mercy. <laughs> Revelation made us do stupid things. My third point is the revelation of the mystery. Now, this is in chapter 3. Now, follow with me now as we go into chapter 3. It says, for this uh, reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he stops. He says, whoa, whoa, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So he's talking about a mystery. What, what, is, what does he mean? Which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Here it comes, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel... The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Here's the mystery. 
The Jews thought it was all about them. You know, and there are people today in church worshiping, and they think it's all about them. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I kept it hidden. But now that Christ has come, the mystery has been revealed. What is that mystery? I'm bringing you together. I'm praying that you would be one, no longer separated. I want to make my church one. That's the mystery. No one is above the other. You are created in Christ Jesus, and we are all fallen in Adam. You know, some people say, well, I'm just as good as he is. No, that you should say, I'm just as bad as he is. Okay, that, that's, that's our equality. Our equality is that the whole human race fell into sin. We're all broken, bent, messed up, jacked up. Okay? We all have a you know, people say, you have a problem. Yeah, same problem you got. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And unless Jesus changes my heart, I have no hope. I don't even know how to love myself without Christ, let alone love you. But when Jesus comes into a person's life, you experience the forgiveness of God, the love of God. All of a sudden, all the damage that's been done to you, and all the stuff that makes you hate yourself, you're able to let it go because you know God loves you. You know, some of you grew up with fathers and mothers that and you never felt good enough. All of a sudden, God says, I love you. You know, some of you have lived enough life, you've damaged yourself. It wasn't what other people did to you. It's what you did to yourself. And you don't know how to live with that shame. And you come to Jesus Christ, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. His blood sprinkles our conscience, the Bible says. And we realize we are sons and daughters of the living God. Isn't that awesome? You are a child of the king. You're a child of God. You're second place to nobody in the world. Because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's all right. Okay? So the mystery is revealed. The mystery is God is opening the door. He's opening the door no matter what color of your skin, no matter what your last name is, no matter the amount of money you do or do not have, no matter the shame of your life or your father's life, no matter your background in the cross, it is forgiven. You are accepted. You are received. You're in the house. That's what the gospel says. Now let me get to my fourth. This is the realization of the mystery of reconciliation in the church. Remember, recognition of alienation was my first. Reconciliation of the nations was my second. Revelation of the mystery was my third. But now the realization of the mystery of reconciliation in the church. This is what Paul says. In verse 7, I I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, but who created all things. His intent was that now, here it comes, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this uh, miracle of reconciliation that Christ accomplished at the cross, this was not meant to be theory. This was not meant to be a good idea. This was not meant to, to, for you and I to say, well, someday in heaven we'll all be together. This mystery is to be realized and revealed in the church. You see, even angels and demons need to look at the power of God among people. Did you realize that? That you are, as the church of Christ, you are the arena in which God is, is, is a player. And, and when... A black man can forgive a white man when a white man can forgive a black man. When a black woman can forgive a white woman and a, a, a white woman can forgive a black For whatever has happened in history or in your own life and, and, and for even the things that are going on still in society, but you can say, in Christ you're my brother. In Christ you must... And not only am I going to say that from a distance... I'm going to live out my life with you. I'm going to worship God with you. Now, please understand me. Reconciliation is not accomplished by you sitting next to a person of a different color in church. Okay? You know, we can all show up in the same building and have a meeting, and it doesn't mean we love each other. This is just where we worship together, but our life is lived out through the week. So the question is, you say you love me, but do I ever get to come to your house? You say you love me, but when I'm in trouble, are you somebody I can depend on? Are you going to be there for me when my back's against the wall? You know, uh, my wife and I, of course, were interracially married, in case you didn't figure that out. But, you know, we, and we've been married for 42 years by the grace of God. And we have four children and we have four grandchildren. And we are so thankful for God's mercy to us. But, you know, when we started dating, you know, uh, we both kind of had a little apprehension. And the apprehension was, okay, uh, suppose Joan is, is, is around some guys, some black guys. And, you know, is she going to say, I don't know him? You know, is that, is that what's going to happen? You know, and if, I, if all of a sudden I'm in a situation and all these white girls are around, I'm going to say, you know, I don't know who she came with. You know, <laughs> you know and, that, and that doesn't just happen uh, interracially. It happens with any, you know, any of us when you're a little insecure, you're trying to uh, say, is this my girlfriend, that my boyfriend? Well, you know, in our life together, across culturally, uh, in reconciliation, there's, there's part of that apprehension. You know, when we work together in the neighborhood, when we 
when we live out our lives together, who do you stand with? Or are you quick to separate? You know what? Unity means something not when you agree about everything, but when you disagree about things. You know, during the election, you know, when Obama was running for the second term, you know, we had some issues in our church. Our church is a cross-cultural church, you know, and, and we had some conservative, Republican, Presbyterian people. You know, they call the, the Presbyterian church the Republican Party at prayer. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so you have, you have black folks coming to church, and a lot of them vote Democratic. And even if they're not Democrat, they're going to vote for a black man to be president. You know, for nothing else to be able to tell their grandchildren, I did it. And, you know, and the white Republican Christian conservatives say, I don't understand how they can vote for that man. You know, and so all of a sudden, you realize, woo So what? Are you a brother or sister or not? Are you going to let this divide you? You may not understand all the issues. See, that's part of unity, to humble yourself and admit, I may not know everything that's involved. Yes, there are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. Yes, there is sin, and there is righteousness. And sometimes all of us has to stand up and say, that just ain't right. But our loyalty to each other should not be in question. Not if we're blood-bought. Not if we all came out of the same mess and belong to the same God. We have got to stand for each other. Because listen, the world looks at us and they really ask a legitimate question. Does your gospel have any power? Does your gospel really mean anything? Or is it all just words? You know, the, the Apostle John said it well. He says, if you say you love God who you haven't seen and you hate your brother whom you have seen, you're a liar. So, brothers and sisters, I just say this to you as your brother and your friend. May the village church live out the mystery. May it be revealed here. As you live your lives day in and day out, as you show up at each other's house and you go to each other's weddings and each other's graduation and each other's funerals. May God help you show up at each other's bedside when you're sick. Visit you when you're in prison. Feed you when you're hungry. Applaud for you when you succeed. Challenge each other to grow closer to Christ and reveal to the world that Jesus lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would let the village church really be, Father, a testimony of true reconciliation. Heal the wounds of the past and give the people grace to face the wounds of the future. Confident in your ability to heal. Confident in your ability to keep us together. We ask this for your glory, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.